Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights. When you do come to Walters, make sure to check out their spicy chicken. Cold beer, a great sandwich with fries, and a big screen TV is a tough combo to beat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1-1 delivery to Soto. Swing a drive. Well hit left field. Rosario going back on this one. Rosario at the warning track looking up and it's gone. An opposite field home run for Juan Soto right over the 375 mark in left field. His second homer of the series, his 17th of the season. Pitch. Swing a line drive, smacked into left field for a base hit. That will score Darno. Rounding second aggressively and holding now is Rosario. And it's 4-1 Atlanta. Minter the kick and the 3-1 to Bell, swinging a ground ball to short. Swanson up with it, looked at second. Now he's going to throw to first in time. And the game is over. Oh, the Nationals come up just short, could not come up with the clutch hit. And the Braves have taken the first two in the series, assured themselves of a series win. And welcome to Nat Chat for Sunday, July 10th, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the podcast. Well, the good news is that Alcides Escobar did not pitch in the Nats' latest game. We now have to note that because Alcides pitching in the Friday night game, the 12-2 loss, at the Atlanta Braves, marked him pitching for the Nats for a second time in four games. So we on Saturday did not have Alcides Escobar pitching for the Nats, but we also on Saturday did not have the Nats winning. The Nats lost a 4-3 loss at the Braves in game two of a three-game series. The Nats this season now are 30-57. and 57. Uh, That is the second worst record in the National League. Uh, the Nats this season now have a run differential of minus 141. Uh, that is the worst run differential in the majors. And the Nats this season now are 7-32 and 32 against the National League East. Now, the Nats did rally on Saturday. This was nice to see. The boys did battle as Davey Martinez likes to say. The Nats entered the seventh inning trailing 4-1. They then scored a run in the seventh and another run in the eighth. They then, in the top of the ninth, had runners on first and second with two outs. But Josh Bell grounded out to end the game. Now, Bell did have a good game, two for five with a double and a single. Bell in the top of the first had a two-out single through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. Bell in the Nats' one-run eighth had a first pitch double to left field. 
but Bell did not come through in the big spot in the top of the ninth. Uh, the Nats for the game, one for eight with runners in scoring position. Yeah, the Nats in this 4-3 loss totaled 12 hits. The Nats outhit the Braves 12-9, but the Nats lost the game. By the way, Josh Bell in the top of the ninth coming up with runners on first and second really should have come up with runners on first and third. Lane Thomas, for some reason, only advanced from first to second on a Juan Soto two-out single to right field on a one-two pitch. Now, this was a bit of an odd single and that the ball landed right in front of the Braves right fielder, Ronald Acuna Jr. He was playing very deep, but still, <laughs> there were two outs. I'm not sure what the uh, Lane Train was thinking there. You know, two outs, you run on contact, uh, but Lane Thomas only advanced 90 feet on that Juan Soto two-out single. Thomas in the top of the ninth had a leadoff single to left field, uh, despite having been down to the count at one point, one-two. Now, speaking of Juan Soto, he on Saturday did have another good game. We are seeing signs of the Juan Soto we know and love finally arriving for the 2022 season. Juan Soto on Saturday, two for four with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Yeah, Juan Soto homered again on Saturday. Uh, Soto in the Nats, one run third, a two-out opposite field solo homer to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. Uh, the home run went a projected 400 feet per stat cast, and the home run, like I said, was an opposite field home run. This has been said many times over the years that Juan Soto is at his best when he's going the opposite way. Well, he has been going the opposite way quite a bit here lately, and the homer on Saturday was an opposite field home run. He then, in the Nats, one run eighth, had a leadoff five-pitch walk, and he, in the top of the ninth, had that two-out single to right field on a one-two pitch. Get this. So Juan Soto, through June 22nd, had an OPS this season of just 796. I say just 796 because that is a low OPS for Juan Soto. For most other people, 796 OPS is just fine. But Juan, through June 22nd, had an OPS this season of just 796. Well, Soto's OPS for the season now is at 869. He, over the last two and a half weeks, has raised his OPS for the season by 73 points from 796 to 869. Great to see this from Juan Soto. We're seeing extra base hits from Juan Soto. Uh, and we saw another one on Saturday via that home run. Juan Soto was one of five Nats who each had two hits on Saturday. And he was one of two Nats who homered on Saturday. Yeah, the Nats actually hit two home runs on Saturday. Two homers by the Nats in one game. Imagine that. Yadiel Hernandez was the other homering net on Saturday. Yadiel two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Yadiel in the top of the fourth, a two-out opposite field single to left field. And Yadiel in the Nats, one run seventh, a leadoff first pitch home run to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. Uh, the homer winner projected 413 feet per stat cast. The Nats' lack of homers this season really is something. The Nats this season now have 67 home runs. That's it. 67 home runs. 67 homers in 87 games. For comparison's sake, the Braves this season have 132 home runs in 86 games. The Braves this season in one fewer game than the Nats have, have 65 more home runs than the Nats have. Think about that. The Braves this season in one fewer game than the Nats have have nearly doubled the Nats' 
home run total. Nats have 67 homers. The Braves have 132 home runs. Uh, That is a staggering reality. Anyway, Nats did hit two homers on Saturday. Was nice to see that. Nelson Cruz had two hits on Saturday. He went two for four with an RBI single and another single. We've talked about this. Nelson Cruz has been in a real rut here lately. He still is not hitting for like any power lately, but he did have two hits on Saturday, including an RBI single. Cruz in the top of the six, a one-out first pitch single up the middle, and Cruz in the Nats, one run eighth, an RBI single through the left side of the infield to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3 despite having been down to the count at 1.02. So that RBI single actually tied Nelson Cruz with Josh Bell for the most RBI on the Nats this season. Each guy now has 47 runs batted in. It's another example of why you cannot go by RBI when trying to figure out who truly is having a good offensive season on a team. I mean, Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell, each guy has the same amount of runs batted in this season, 47. And yet anyone who has paid any attention to the Nats understands Josh Bell has been a much better offensive player than Nelson Cruz has been this season. But, you know, Cruz, to his credit, has driven in some runs. And if you look at some of the advanced stuff out there, he actually has been fairly clutch. One of the best things to look at in terms of determining who has been clutch is WPA, win probability added. It's interesting. Nelson Cruz came into Saturday leading the Nats in win probability added This season. Now, again, I don't think that tells the entire story of the season that Nelson Cruz has had. Uh, Overall, this has not been a good season, but I give him credit for that. I mean, you're number one on a team in WPA. You are doing at least some things, right? And uh, Nelson Cruz did have that RBI single on Saturday. Uh, Also, Kbert Ruiz had a two hit game on Saturday, two for four with a double and a single. And he threw out Ronald Acuna Jr on an attempted steal of second base. So we had another impressive game for Kate Barrett Ruiz on Saturday. Ruiz in the top of the second, a one-out double to right field on an 0-2 pitch. Terrific piece of hitting. Ruiz in the top of the fourth, a two-out single that went down the first base line and deflected off the Braves' first baseman, Matt Olson. And then in the bottom of the seventh, Ruiz threw out yet another runner on the base paths. He threw out Ronald Acuna Jr. on an attempted steal of second base for the third out. Cannot say enough about the job that Kbert Ruiz is doing this season in controlling opposing teams' running games. Kbert Ruiz now this season at 16 for 48 on runners trying to steal. 16 for 48, 333. You know, one out of every three runners who try to steal on Kbert Ruiz get gunned down by Kbert Ruiz. That's a very nice percentage a third of the time throwing runners out on attempted stolen bases. So good to see that. Of course, we have seen Kbert Ruiz emerge as the master of the back pick. That's been very nice to see. So thumbs up uh, to Kbert Ruiz. You want to see him hit for some more power, but the overall package, and as a catcher, right, a big part of the package is what you do defensively. I think the overall package is very encouraging right now with Kbert Ruiz. So there were positives for the Nats on Saturday, uh, but again, one for eight with runners in scoring position. And I do want to note this. Cesar Hernandez is really struggling right now. And I think Davey Martinez is making things worse by batting Cesar in the leadoff spot. Cesar Hernandez on Friday night was the Nats' number one batter. He went 0 for 3 with a walk, but he off the walk 
got picked off at first base. Top of the fifth, a one-out five-pitch walk, but he then got picked off at first base by the Braves starting pitcher Charlie Morton for the third out. That really was an inexcusable pickoff out there by Cesar Hernandez. The Nats were down big. You need base runners. You need runs. What are you doing getting picked off in a spot like that? Well, Cesar Hernandez on Saturday, again, was the Nats' number one batter. He went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts and left three men on base. Are you aware of what Cesar Hernandez is doing this month? It's easy to lose track of things, right? I mean, so many of these games start to run together. And uh, as we all know, you know, things aren't going so well (laughs) for the Nats this season. But Cesar Hernandez in this month of July is, you ready for this? One for 33. Yeah, one for 33. The one is a double, okay? But the one is a one. One for 33. He has drawn three walks. Why is Davey Martinez still batting Cesar Hernandez in the leadoff spot? Cesar Hernandez this season as a number one batter, okay? So if you just look at those plate appearances in those games in which he has been the Nats' number one batter, has an OPS of 598. That is a horrible OPS. So it's not even like, well, you know, when he bats in the number one spot, he tends to do well. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. I know that the Nats lack true offensive studs. I get that. And I know that there's not an obvious, supremely high on-base guy to put in that number one spot Other than, I guess, Juan Soto, who is a supremely high OBP guy. But, of course, you don't want Juan batting first. To me, you want Juan batting second, and that's where Juan tends to bat. So I applaud Davey for that. But to me, put basically anyone else at this point in the number one spot. Put Caber Ruiz in the leadoff spot. Put Luis Garcia in the leadoff spot. And I know that neither guy draws a lot of walks. And I know that there is this fear of, especially with Garcia, if you put him in the leadoff spot, that's going to mess with his mind. I don't know. Maybe it won't. Okay? I mean, maybe he'll handle it just fine. I do know this. Cesar Hernandez as the Nats' number one batter isn't working and hasn't been working. And I know that Davey so wants this to work. Davey back in spring training talked about wanting Cesar Hernandez to be the Nats' leadoff batter, but this just isn't working. And the idea that this all of a sudden magically is going to work, the likelihood of that every day uh, becomes less and less with each continued struggle of Cesar Hernandez. And of course, there's the larger point of Cesar Hernandez is a stopgap. You know, he's playing for the Nats on a one-year contract. This is his age 32 season. Uh, You could argue he's blocking Luis Garcia from playing what may well be Garcia's best position at the major league level in second base. Although I'm fine with seeing if Garcia can play the more important defensive position of shortstop. But enough of Cesar Hernandez in the leadoff spot, at least for now. One more time, month of July, one for 33 with three walks. It's not good enough. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Riley slugging at 546th in the league. You can strike him out, though. Breaking ball hit in the air to deep left center field. Hernandez going back, slowing up. It's going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Oh, that one about 10 rows up beyond the 385-foot marker in left center field. A home run for Austin Riley, a two-run shot. The Braves homer again. They're league leading 132nd of the year. They've out homered the Nationals 22-6 this season. It's Atlanta 2 and Washington nothing. Well, the Nats starting pitcher on Saturday was Patrick Corbin. And Saturday's game, to me, was a big test for Patrick Corbin. He had been very good in each of his previous two starts, of of course, having been oh so bad uh, since the start of the 2020 season. Corbin in the Nats 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on June 28th. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. He was awesome. He pitched like an ace in that game. Uh, Corbin in the Nats 3-2-10 inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park This past Monday, July 4th, one run in seven innings. Another good outing. But as you likely know, neither the Pirates nor the Marlins are what you would call an excellent offensive team. The Braves are an excellent offensive team. I mentioned earlier in the show the many home runs that the Braves have hit this season. Well, you look at the overall batting for the Braves this season. The Braves entered Saturday number seven in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus this season at 110. 100 is average, especially when you're talking about team-weighted runs created plus. Anything above 100 is pretty impressive. 110 is quite impressive. That was the Braves' team-weighted runs created plus this season coming into the game on Saturday. So any notion of Patrick Corbin finally getting his act together was put to the test on Saturday and facing a very good hitting team in the Braves. And the results were mixed at best. Uh, Corbin on Saturday, four runs in six innings. Uh, He gave up eight hits, a home run, and seven singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 102 pitches, 61 strikes versus 41 balls. Now, he didn't get hammered, okay? It's not like Corbin got shellacked in this game, but it's also not like he was great in this game. Corbin in the bottom of the first allowed two runs. Uh, He gave up a leadoff single to Ronald Acuna Jr. up the middle, and then Corbin gave up the home run. Uh, Gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Austin Riley on a bomb to left field for a 2-0 Braves lead. Uh, The homer winner projected 422 feet per stat cast. Now look, Austin Riley hits a lot of home runs, okay? The guy can hit baseballs for many, many miles, Uh, but still, Corbin got got by Riley and that two-run Braves first. Now, Corbin did then toss scoreless second and third innings, including a very impressive bottom of the third. Corbin, a perfect bottom of the third in which he struck out the Braves' numbers one and three batters, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olson. So that was really nice to see. But Corbin in the bottom of the fourth allowed two more runs. And there was an element of some bad luck in this inning as every hit by the Braves in the inning was a single But there was more to the inning than just that. Corbin gave up a leadoff single 
to Austin Riley to left field on a 1-2 pitch. Corbin gave up a single to Travis Darneau on a ball that went off the glove of a diving Ray Adrianza at third base. Corbin then gave up a one-out full-count RBI infield single to Eddie Rosario for a 3-1 Braves lead. Now, the ball was hit to shortstop Luis Garcia as Garcia crossed behind the second base bag. And Garcia, in throwing across his body to first base, committed a throwing error. Swinging a chopper toward the left side, ranging across is Garcia. On the move, throws to first, pulls Bell off the bag. The ball deflects away off his glove, rolling toward the dugout. And so Riley will score and Darno will go to third. So another throwing blunder by Luis Garcia. Uh, this continues to be an issue for him. You know, this wasn't necessarily an easy play, but this was a more than makeable play. Garcia was throwing across his body, like I said. So again, not easy, but still, I mean, you're a shortstop. That's a play that you should make. Garcia did not make the play. Another throwing error for this guy. Luis Garcia came into the game on Saturday with minus eight defensive runs saved at shortstop over 298 in a third major league innings this season. That is a high negative defensive run save total in such a short period of time. I mean, the Nats only recalled Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester on June 1st. Like I said, the innings total at shortstop for Garcia at the major league level coming into the game on Saturday was less than 300, and yet he already had accumulated minus eight defensive runs saved on the season, and he had another defensive miscue here uh, in this game on Saturday. But Corbin wasn't done in this inning. He then gave up a one-out single to Orlando Arcia to left field for a 4-1 Braves lead. Then Corbin issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Ronald Acuna Jr. And then Corbin got bailed out uh, by A. Ray Adrianza. Again, Adrianza was playing third base for the Nats on Saturday. And Adrianza made a tremendous defensive play. Bases loaded, two outs, a terrific diving backhanded catch of a liner off the bat of Dansby Swanson. So that two-run Braves four could have been much worse from Corbin's perspective. Very nice play by Adrianza. Corbin did then toss scoreless fifth and sixth innings. So, you know, like I said, Corbin on Saturday was mixed. It's not like every inning was really bad, but, you know, at the end of his outing, you're looking at four runs in six innings. That translates to an ERA of six. That's not good. Corbin now over 18 starts this season has an ERA of 570 and a whip of 167. He does continue to put way too many guys on base. You know, he gave up eight hits and two walks in this game on Saturday. He put 10 guys on base over six innings. It's too much, you know, it's too much. One of the really encouraging things about that recent two-star stretch for Corbin was that 12-strikeout performance in the win over the Pirates at Nationals Park on June 28th. The extent to which Corbin's strikeout rate has plummeted over his struggles over these last three seasons stands out as much as anything. If he could ever get back to being a strikeout pitcher, boy, would that be good. And boy, would that lessen the number of guys who reached base, but he did not have a lot of strikeouts in the next game. The uh, tenanting loss to the Marlins at Nationals Park this past Monday, and Corbin did not have a lot of strikeouts in this game on Saturday at the Braves. You can always email us at uh, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from our friend Rich Park in South Korea. Uh, writes Rich, does Corbin need an opener? Not saying this will solve his issue, but it just seems like for more than half his starts, he has just got awful in the first inning. Well, thank you for the email, Rich. And yeah, Corbin on Saturday did give up two runs in the bottom of the first. But believe it or not, Patrick Corbin's first inning ERA this season is actually better than his overall 
ERA. I was surprised by that when I saw that because I'm with you, Rich. It does feel like Corbin routinely has problems in the first innings of games, but actually uh, the numbers do not bear that out. Patrick Corbin's first inning ERA this season is 476. Patrick Corbin's overall ERA this season is 570. The Nats starting pitchers who have especially bad first inning ERAs this season are Josiah Gray and Yohan Adon. Uh, Gray this season has a first inning ERA of 563. Adon this season has a first inning ERA of 836. Now, hopefully, we will not be seeing Yohan Adon pitch at the major league level for a while. He pretty clearly has a lot of work to do. I don't like that he's since being demoted to AAA Rochester already has been brought back up to the majors twice to make spot starts. But yeah, the number one candidate for an opener on the Nats might actually be Josiah Gray, if you can believe that. Although I would not hold my breath on the Nats using an opener uh, for Gray or for anyone else. The opener strategy has been around for a few years now. The Nats have never seemed to be open to the opener. Uh, Certainly have never seemed to embrace the opener. But the opener strategy was innovated by the 2018 Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, The Rays that season inexplicably went 90-72 and despite having traded away a number of key players. It was in May of 2018 that the Rays started using this opener strategy. Uh, Remember, this has happened in a series at the Los Angeles Angels. What the Rays did got a lot of attention, and we were off and running. And it's so interesting to look back on that season. So the Rays went into that initial opener game, a game on May 19th, 2018 at the Angels, a 5-3 win at the Angels with a team ERA for that 2018 season of 445. The Rays for the rest of that 2018 season had a team ERA of 350. And of course, off the Rays doing what they did with the opener in 2018, we since have seen many more teams adopt the opener strategy to varying extents. You know, Davey Martinez during 2021 Nat Spring training did talk about being open to openers. Uh, March 25th, 2021, pregame Zoom press conference, Davey revealed that he was open to using openers in the 2021 season. But even with the Nats pitching last season being horrendous, we still saw very little deviation by the Nats from the traditional approach to pitching. Now, let me make something clear. I would not advocate for using an opener with Josiah Gray, right? The idea with Josiah Gray is to groom him into being an ace or a number two in your rotation. You got to let Josiah Gray learn to be better in the first innings of games. But generally speaking, I do think that the Nats should be more open-minded with their approach to pitching, especially in the team's current state. You know, you're a bad team with bad pitching. Don't be afraid to try new things. You have nothing to lose. If there's one good thing about being bad, it's that being bad affords you essentially this like blank canvas with which you can try all kinds of things, you know, and concoct all kinds of things and experiment with all kinds of things and just see what works and see what you like and see what might fit your personnel. And I don't feel like we've seen a lot of that uh, with the Nats over these last few years. The Nats bullpen, that was good on Saturday. So there's another positive for you. Two Nats relievers combined for two scoreless innings. Uh, Steve Ciszek tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh And Mason Thompson tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. Mason Thompson continues to look good since coming off the 60-day injured list. Mason Thompson now has four scoreless innings with one hit and no walks since the Nats on July 1st returned Thompson 
from rehabilitation assignment and reinstated him from the 60-day IL. Uh, The Nats on April 10th put Thompson on the 10-day injured list with a right bicep strain. He then was transferred to the 60-day IL on May 10th. So he was out for a while. But since coming back, he's looked good. You know, small sample size, yeah, but he has looked good. So nice to see that with Mason Thompson. You tell us what you think. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Showers. Again, that address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.com. Dot square dot site. In fact, our friend Rich Park recently sent us an email wearing a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt at a KBO game in Korea. I tell you, that is loyalty. That is support of the podcast. So we thank Rich very much for that. Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings. You can catch uh, Nats Chat on the radio on 1061 ESPN in Richmond. That's Sunday morning at 9. You can also catch Nats Chat on the radio on Sports Radio 96.5 FM and 8.50 AM in the Hampton Roads area, also on Sunday morning at 9. And if you're out of the Richmond and Hampton Roads area listening areas, uh, you can listen online at ESPNRichmond.com and at Sports Radio 965 FM. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. I'm Al Galdi. I'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And we leave you now with another look back at the month that changed everything for the Nats. One year ago, the month of July 2021. And we on this installment of the Nats Chat podcast look back on a 5-3 Nats loss at the San Francisco Giants on Friday night, July 9th, 2021. Uh, This was part of a three-game sweep of the Nats at the Giants, who at the time were the number one team in the majors in terms of winning percentage. Now, this series happened off the Nats having lost Kyle Schwarber to his hamstring injury. So the Nats in this series used both Gerardo Parra and Josh Harrison in place of the injured Kyle Schwarber. Gerardo Parra ended up having an eventful series. He, in this 5-3 loss at the Giants on July 9th, 2021, was the Nats starting center fielder and number eight batter. He, in the game, had a two-out RBI double on an 0-2 pitch, but he got thrown out by a mile at home plate on a two-out single by our guy, Paolo Espino. Yeah, Paolo, he can also hit in addition to pitching. But anyway, this was another controversial send by the Nats' then third base coach, Bob Senley henley So we look back on some of what happened on July 9th, 2021, and we thank you very much for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. The 0-1. Swing a line drive, center field, base hit. One hop to Duggar, heading for the plate, Para. The throw home, the tag, and is in plenty of time. Para goes out in standing. So Espino gets the hit. Bobby Henley sent him, and Para outs by about 20 feet. Runs right into the tag with no resistance. It was a very eventful game for Gerardo Parra, who was the national starting center fielder at number eight batter. Now, he had a couple of hits, and Parra's kind of been scuffling here lately, and we know how it's been with Parra. He's like the anti-Soto this year, where he does all his damage Parra does at home, as opposed to on the road, which is where Soto's done the bulk of his damage. So Parra has, in a three-run Nats fourth, a two-out RBI double to center field on an 0-2 pitch, great-looking hit, but then gets thrown out by a mile at home on a two-out single by our guy, Paolo Espino, who is threatening John Lester now for the Silver Slugger Award for pitchers in the National League this year. And then Parra in the top of the seventh 
leadoff five-pitch walk, but gets thrown out at home by a mile on a Trey Turner grounder to the Giants shortstop Brandon Crawford for the second out. And then Para in the top of the eighth, bases loaded one out, grounds into a killer first pitch, 4-6-3 double play. So there was a lot going on with the baby shark on Friday night. Yeah, so the first two I heard, the outs at the plate, the double play I saw, we had checked in at that point. And I'll just tell you that the first out at the plate on the Espino single, the range of emotions that Dave Jagler had calling that play were pretty high because it starts with the shock and excitement of a Palo Espino base hit and potentially bringing home the run and then complete dejection as he realized that Parr was not just out, but out by, in Dave's estimation, 20 feet. And I went back and I saw the highlight of it and it's pretty bad. I mean, that was pretty egregious. And it sounds like based on what I've seen that Davey Martinez said after the game, he said Bob Henley sent him. So you can put that one on the third base coach and he's done it before. Uh, you know, it's one thing to be aggressive, but it's another just to be careless. And that it sounded to me at least like that was a little bit more on the careless end. Yeah, it certainly looked that way. Now, I want to get back to Henley in a second, but on the one on which Pora is thrown at at home on a Trey Turner grounder, in a spot like that where a guy's on third and the ground ball is hit, is that more on Pora? You know, just generally speaking, when a guy runs from third to home, is that more on the runner or is in fact some onus on Henley for a play like that? Usually it's not on the third base coach. It has more to do with what is the call leading up to it. Was it a contact play? Are they just running on contact no matter what? Or is it up to the runner to read where the balls hit and then decide whether to go or not? So you tell me, was the infield in? Was he going on contact? It sounds to me like it's more of a par read or he was told no matter what, you're going on contact. 